So welcome everyone to the next Visions and House of Beautiful Business podcast. This is Christian Knörler. I'm heading the company building unit of Porsche Digital. My name is Tim. I'm the co-founder and co-curator of the House of Beautiful Business. So Tim, where are we? We are indeed at the House of Beautiful Business. We're sitting in this beautiful library here at the Academy of Sciences. And um, the House of Beautiful Business is a think tank and global community with the mission to make humans more human and business more beautiful. We host an annual gathering every year in November. That's where we are right now. We bring together 700 people from different disciplines and backgrounds, artists, scientists, business people, nonprofit leaders, policymakers. And the idea is that we provide a space for five days for them to explore and develop visions for a more human future of business, technology, and society. And that's a nice purpose for the podcast as well. So gather some people together, two people that we selected out of these thought leaders, bring them together. They don't know each other up front. Um, and also to take really the time to um, explore next visions as well. Yeah, that's really one of the luxuries of the House of Beautiful Business is that we actually really take the time to think about these issues. And I think one of the design principles of the house is serendipity. So you mm -hmm. don't know whom you're going to meet next. And also, I think, a certain vulnerability. So sometimes it can be a bit awkward. And we're playing with that as well also for these uh, podcast conversations. So imagine you're at the house and you walk into a room and you know the name of the person and maybe you have read their bio, uh -huh. which of course is very impressive, but you've never met them before. And then you are in that room The microphone is recording, there's no moderator. And then you have to make sense of the situation and get a conversation going. That's really the setup for our conversations for the podcast that we're listening to now. Sounds amazing. So who are the two thought leaders we collected in now? So yeah, so we're um, now listening to a conversation between Ebru Kirksal. Oh, she's amazing. I met her last night at the dinner. As I understood, she's uh, one of these rare female leaders in a male-dominated uh, area for football, right? That's right. She's the former CEO of Galatasaray Istanbul, one of the most prestigious Turkish uh, football clubs. And then she's had held several positions with UEFA and, mm -hmm. uh, and she's an investor as well. Wow. And who's the other person? The other person is Haminia Ibarra. Haminia Ibarra is a professor of organizational behavior at the London Business School. And she's also the author of several books. Uh, one of them, maybe her most popular one, is called Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. So you can already tell from the title that she is very much um, covering leadership. And I saw, I remember seeing a talk of hers in New York City a few years ago. And I was really impressed because she was one of the first people, first experts in that field who began to to explore the idea of career transitions and career mm -hmm. changes and sort of the gray zone, not, not like the role model leadership, but all those areas of leadership that we rarely talk about. And I think it's interesting to listen to this conversation between the two of them because Ebru really switched careers very often mm -hmm. and okay. reinvented herself. And Herminia is looking at that sort of through the lens of an academic and a business school professor. So I think we're in for a treat. Then let's listen to it. Hi, I'm Ebru Köksal from Turkey. It's my second year in House of Beautiful Business. I'm not only a resident, but a speaker as well. And we are in Lisbon in the beautiful building of the Academia and looking forward to an amazing conversation with you, Hermania. 
And I'm Herminia Ibarra, and this is my first time both to the house and to Lisbon here at the Academia, where it smells like an old library. It's just a fantastic smell. And I'm very excited to launch into a conversation with Ebru. Um, shall we go? Let's go for it. So first question from me to you. In your career so far, what has been your most radical decision and what led you to it? Okay, this is going to take some explaining because I study people who make radical career changes and I really don't do that myself. So uh, that's, the, <laughs> that's the irony of it. I've been an academic for 30 years now, post-graduate uh, studies, always in the same field. My field is called organizational behavior and we study the behavior of people in their work lives. And so I've done that all my life, and I probably will continue to do that all my life. Uh, the radical change I made was a move that I made around the year 2000. I was a tenured uh, professor at the Harvard Business School and very happy with my career, but very unhappy with my life in Boston, a city I just never warmed up to. I never liked it. And so uh, the radical move is I moved to France and I stayed there and I, I, I stayed there for over 15 years and I loved it. It was exactly the kind of life that I wanted to have. Uh, now, the trick is as academics, we get to have sabbaticals. And so I went on a tentative basis just to feel it out before I had to make a big choice. It was still a hard choice to make and I never looked back. What an unbelievable coincidence, because the most radical change in my life was in 2000 as well. And I can easily be the subject of your next research. I was an investment banker for 10 years, and I was working for a private equity fund in year 2000. The day I joined, they sent me to a meeting with Galatasaray, the leading football club in Turkey, because the president of the club at the time was my former M&A client from Citibank. And I didn't realize, but I was also pregnant when I joined the fund. And nine months later, uh, my daughter was born on the same day as the signing of the shareholders agreement, where the fund bought 20% shares in the club. And three weeks later, I got called into the office by my boss. I thought he was calling me in for a catching up day. And he looked me in the eye and he said, well, Ebru, you have two very young children, only one year apart. You cannot keep up with the pace of the fund anymore. And we're terminating your contract. And I was like, great. I'm going to go out, hire a lawyer and sue you. <laughs> I went home and I got a call from the president of the club a few days later. And he said, listen, I know that you want to, you know, take revenge and sue them, and I'm sure you're going to win the court case, but how about coming over as an interim CFO to the club for six months? If you don't like it, you can always open your court case. And there I was, wanting to remain in my comfort zone, but then something appealed, jumped out, took a leap of faith, and went into the world of magic. And I remained in football for the next 20 years, basically. And never looked back. Yep, that's exactly. an amazing. That's an amazing story. You know, the way you tell it, it is so much like the stories of the people that I studied making big career changes. And that is, there's a lot of serendipity in it. Sometimes it starts because something bad happens. And most often, the thing that you go into next is 
something in which you already had some connections and some experience. And even better when, like I did, you're able to try it on an interim basis just to see what you think. Because a lot of times we have fantasies about things we'd like to do. And in fact, when we try them, it's not so great. Better the other way around. You try them and you really start to feel your way into that role. So I find that really interesting. And, um, you know, for me, what was great was being able to tell those stories and extract the lessons because what people were being told to do about their careers made no sense then, and it makes even less sense today, which is to stay inside your head, think about it, figure out exactly what you want, and then once you know what to do, target, network, you know, just implement And of course, it doesn't work that way. Things happen. You follow your nose. You try things out. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's wrong. And that's how you move along. Exactly. And I'm definitely a walking example of that. And I had never a straight line of career growth. It was always a jungle gym, you know, three steps forward, five steps back, but always getting up and continuing to run each time. And the most important thing is to be able to stand back every now and then and look at your life and uh, decide if this is what you want to do or this is how you define success or how you want the future to look like. Are you doing that now? I am. I am doing that now. I didn't do it for about 47 years, but the last four years I've been doing it much more. And every six months to a year, I have another... Um, defining moment in my life. And in fact, I'll be talking about one this afternoon, actually. Fantastic. I can't wait to hear it. Maybe you'll tell me more as we continue the conversation. (laughs) Okay, my turn to ask a question. One piece of advice to future leaders. What do you think? I think, first of all, I'm going to say not one, but a few perhaps. One is to have courage. And a lot of people these days just sit and wait for a tap on the shoulder and don't dare to do things with the fear of failure. But you will never know if you're going to succeed or not if you don't try. And what's the worst that can happen? Your ego will be hurt a little bit. You will feel rejection, a bit of embarrassment. But a lot of the times, it's only you and your employer or a recruiter who knows that you tried for a new position. So I think rather than sitting and regretting as days pass by that you didn't try doing something, it's much better to go on the field and fail if necessary. Yeah, I mean, you're talking earlier about the comfort zone. That's a hard thing. We know we're supposed to be out of it, but how and when, and when is it really risky, and when is it actually a lot riskier to stay in the comfort zone? I was reading an article about tech CEOs talking about how in a lot of them really kind of move their top team people to very different positions very quickly, you know, so really moving into very different roles all the time. And that's unusual. Most people in organizations don't do that and still hope to have fairly linear career paths. But at the same time, they're bored and they want novelty. And so it's a real struggle to juggle both of those things. And even more, you know, nobody's going to tap you on the shoulder if you're out on your own. And I think increasingly our careers are entrepreneurial, gig, you know, things that we create ourselves, particularly as we 
move to later stages in our career, it's kind of what we decide to go for. It's not even that a position opens or presents itself. It's what you start searching for. And uh, indeed, it does take courage to just move away from status quo. Exactly. And when you do that, probably the most important thing is to know what you're good at and what you lack. And especially as you move up the ladder as a senior leader, a lot of people are a bit disillusioned and they think that they know all the answers. And if they don't have the answers, they're afraid to ask because they're so senior that they cannot ask anymore. What's important is to surround yourself with people who can tell you the truth and that you can trust and ask if need be for help and not be afraid of the challenge that they bring to the table. Yeah, there's a line that I like a lot that um, Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, used when he was trying to talk about the kind of change he wanted in the organization. And he said, we have to shift from being know-it-alls to learn-it-alls. And it is very much, of course, we have to be expert in some things. That's how we earn our keep. But most of everything else that we do really involves drawing things out of other people who know more in their areas or who have to tell you what they think. And all of that is about the art of asking good questions that draw things out. And I think that's really a skill set that is going to become only more and more important. Exactly. So my turn to ask you a question now. In an age of machines, how would you define a successful career? Well, I don't think we even need to bring the machines into that question, (laughs) to be perfectly honest. I think, you know, I think as we get older, the way we define a successful career shifts from the external measures of success, how much money, how much status, how much name recognition the company, to am I happy, am I doing something that is creative or meaningful to me, is it allowing me to have the life I want uh, without too many sacrifices that I no longer want to make. I think those are those are the terms for success. Now, if we add back the machines and the technology, I think... The learning is the name of the game. I think that as technology gets better and better, we just have to keep learning more and new and different things, if only to work with the machines, but also to make sure that what we're doing is something that's different and complementary to what they do. Exactly. And for me, my passion for the last few years has been on equality and diversity and inclusion. And of course, there's always the talk of future algorithms being based on the current practices, which are not necessarily diverse or inclusive, and how to break that chain, let's say. And at Women in Football, our remit has been to reach as many women as possible, make them realize that they're all doing amazing, wonderful things in their little silos and that they're not alone. And many women around the world are suffering challenges, setbacks in their careers and personal lives, and using technology, making them aware that they can reach out to others who are in the same situation and try to find support from each other, learn from each other, celebrate their successes, 
and hopefully have more courage in the future to step up to leadership positions. So for me, use of technology and machines has been a bit more circumference, circumferential. Is there such a word? I think so. Um, uh, but for sure, success in the last few years for me has been more about making a difference in the lives of others. I've done enough to have the intrinsic and extrinsic motivations for myself, but now it's more about helping others. Wow, there's so many topics there that you have brought up. I mean, I just think, you know, women's football for the first time came into my radar screen this year with the triumph of the women's team. And that just speaks to the importance of just kind of visible role models who are like you in some way, who show that things are possible. And um, and I, I'm sure that has inspired tons of, of girls and women to succeed in areas that have been traditionally masculine. I mean, I share with you this interest in diversity and inclusion, although I hate the words because in so many of the contexts that I look at, they're just kind of like a stale program that nobody pays any attention to. And it, it, wouldn't it be wonderful to have those things be meaningful and come alive because it matters, it matters so much. Yeah, I think what we found along the way of this equality advocacy journey is that a lot of people try to form diverse senior management teams or boards only to tick boxes. And then they're happy to say, okay, 30% of the board is women. But if you're not making them feel included or connected to the rest of the board or feel valued, then it defeats the purpose. So the work should be, as you say, I'm sometimes not happy anymore using the words equality and diversity as much. I like nowadays more inclusive and connected. That that means a lot more to me. Yeah, yeah. And I know fairness is being used a lot when it comes to AI as well. I think fair is a good word because uh, so much of what we see happening is just not fair. <laughs> and example after example comes up. So maybe I'll switch to the word fair. I think it's time for me to ask you a last question. Name an example for of one authentic leader today. What makes him or her stand out and why? Hmm. Well, as someone who took the authentic leadership development program of Bill George at Harvard... <laughs> I have several people that I feel are really putting their true selves out there. And maybe not all of them are very well known, but one of them is my good friend and colleague in the international advocacy work for women in football is Moya Dodd, an Australian ex-football player, captain of the Matildas, one of the few female board members of FIFA. And she's never afraid to speak her own mind, though it cost her um, sort of uh, not being re-elected to the board because she was too vocal, perhaps. But she continues her uh, brave fight and call out for unfair treatment of women in the industry. And I'm very proud to be her friend. And there are thousands of other women who are in their own little communities, I think, who are really putting their true selves out there without fear to not only fight for themselves, but to pave the way for others as well. 
What about you? Who, if I were to ask you this question, let, let me just say, say I, I want you to connect me with her. She sounds like an amazing example for teaching about leadership. She sounds like somebody I'd love, I'd love to meet. So an example for me, you know, I'm a bit allergic to the term authentic leader, notwithstanding Bill George's course and uh, ideas, which I know well. Uh, and the reason for it is, I mean, obviously we want to be authentic and we don't really want to follow people who are not authentic. The thing is, this word has become another thing like inclusiveness. It's a kind of like a tick the box. Are you being authentic? And I've seen it because I study how people develop and make transitions into new and different areas and roles that have to get them out of their comfort zone. I've seen, because the word is so popular, the idea of authentic leadership, I've seen people grasp onto it as an excuse for staying in their comfort zone and for not doing things that feel uncomfortable because they're unfamiliar. They'll just say, well, it's not me. I've got to be true to myself. I have to be authentic. And of course, being authentic doesn't mean that you have to be as you always have been and not, you know, and not budge <laughs> in your development. It actually means that you continue to develop yourself in a self-reflective and self-aware kind of way. And then you put that out. And so, um, I have mixed feelings about that term because I see often the kind of unhelpful reaction when it comes to learning that it evokes. I tend to agree with you, but for me, the journey of self-discovery has been in the end more about really being true to myself, not really caring necessarily about whether I had emerged in the eyes of others as an authentic person or not, but after 50 years, finally reconciling with all the self-criticism, self-doubt, you know, the inner self-talk in my mind, and finally realizing that I should be one person rather than two, three, four, five different ones that I put on, you know, different personalities in the family or in the workplace or among friends. Mm. But while inside, there were very different currents and... Uh, so aligning those finally and being comfortable with yourself, just for yourself, I think is what authentic means about. Maybe the others won't even well, notice. I think, that's, I think that's the holy grail. I mean, I think what you've described is the original meaning. You know, I, I went and looked back in, you know, the Greek term is autenteos, which means self-authoring, that which you have created yourself. And that's, that's exactly what it meant to the humanistic psychologists that talked about self-actualization, that you reflect and you weave the threads together and you, you know what it is. I guess I'm still, you know, for myself, uh, still um, haven't fully integrated all the different threads and wondering if that is the ideal or not. But it sounds, I mean, what you're describing is what we call adult development. Yep. <laughs> so fantastic. And some people never develop. No, so, some people yep. never do. Exactly. So, well, it has been an amazing conversation. And thank you for I your. I feel the same. I think time. we're going to have to stay connected. We need to go out and have a coffee now. Yeah, we have to go have a coffee now. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing to meet you. Wow, that was quite an interesting conversation. So many things that we can talk about. That, mm -hmm. But one thing in particular, one comment really stuck with me. And that was when Herminia 
was expressing her skepticism regarding the term authentic, which I mean, I think right, she's, yeah. I think she's right, right? Is this really kind of become sort of a thing and a buzzword and everybody, it feels like it's the, the lowest common denominator, right? I'm authentic, so I'm good. I'm a good leader because I'm authentic. And she was saying, this is actually almost like it's stifling because it prevents you from getting out of your comfort zone. I don't know. How, you, how do you feel about it? Question. I pretty much resonated uh, with this getting out of your comfort zone thing because um, I guess we discussed sometimes also the that we're on a mission to reinvent ourselves. And that requires somehow that you get out of your comfort zone. So on the one hand, of course, you try to be authentic as a brand like we are as well. But in order to grow, I think you need to get out of your comfort zone. That's the one part. The other thing was that April basically pointed out, stay true to yourself. And that was where I thought, comes back to the concept of Sigmund Freud and the um, original sense, what introversion actually means. It's not that you don't take care so much about what the outside world is thinking about you. And this is my feeling how we now tackle as well digital transformation. There are many paths where you can follow others, but basically... Our brand is stay true to yourself, look for your own path. What is our way to tackle the future? So, but this have been basically the two points where I thought we'd take something with us from this interesting discussion. I love the fact that, I mean, this is a pretty deep conversation between Ebro and Herminia. And I yeah, love right. that you basically like tie it up, close it and wrap it up with Sigmund Freud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah somehow we need <laughs> to, to do just that. Just to lighten us up. <laughs> um, I have to say that the, what Ebro said, this idea of like, there's one or what you just said, there's one like true self and you have to stay true to that and you have to find it. This always frightens me. Where is it? What is it? And I feel... Actually, I think what Herminia said, authentic comes from self-authoring. Mm -hmm. Why can we not be the authors of ourselves and have multiple personas? I always feel like that's actually authentic to me. If I can be different people, I, I'm not limited to being one person. And I, I think actually that's what I would be looking for in business leaders as well, that they're credible and they're inspiring, but they can mm -hmm. be different personas. Isn't that more human than... I can get psychological again a little bit because that's <laughs> the, the, the concept of self that you have several self that depending on the context, I guess that's natural thing. But coming back to your point that it frightens you to stay true to yourself. I think it's if you understand yourself as a static concept, like a snapshot in the now, then I agree. But I see it more like a path into the future. So stay true to yourself and uncover your future self is, I think, the journey you need to take. They talk pretty much about growing. And if you see it as a journey that you need to uncover your true self, so you don't know now what your true self is and you are on a journey to uncover that, then I think it's a very beautiful thing. Uh, so I liked really the thought of both of them, how to tackle this issue. So by this was a beautiful discussion, in my opinion. What do you think? It was. And no definitive answers, as it should be, and much more to explore. So if you are interested in listening to further episodes of this series of conversations that we recorded at the House of Beautiful Business with Porsche, Porsche at the House of Beautiful Business, then uh, where can you go? You can go to where you, you found can, this one. You can comment on the podcast function, and we are very curious to hear your feedback and also your opinions on that. That's right. Okay, with that, thank you. And uh, well, looking forward to it. Check back in soon. Yeah.